you are in your Bibles at 1 Peter chapter 5. Last week, we talked about elders, which is an official position in the church. And now uh, the rest is for really the rest of us or for all of us. Uh, and we're going to get what does that look like in the church. I want to remind you, uh, and I think about this even in leadership in our country as you think about the president. Um, it would be quite a, can you imagine being the president? Can you imagine being the president? Uh, doesn't it sound exciting? <laughs> I, I know some of you, you say no, but like, uh, do, do you understand how powerful you would feel if you were the president of the United States? We even have bigger terms for it, the, pre, you know, the leader of the free world. And you, know, and you think about, uh, I don't know if they have a phone now or some other button or whatever, and, and all that is is the greatest military in the whole world is at your disposal, and uh, they're waiting for it. You, you can imagine the, the power and the thrill of that. And so it doesn't surprise surprise me uh, when it comes to elections and you look at leaders of countries and so on and so forth. It doesn't surprise me uh, when they're prideful men and women. I, it doesn't surprise me at all because there's a certain thrill about that. But as we're going to, I, I want to remind you, I want to remind you what we learned last week. It's not about the leader. It's about the treasure of the flock, as you look at this passage in 1 Peter chapter 5, it's the flock of God. And it's not about being president, it's the United States, it's the people uh, that make that a powerful position. And so uh, as we turn really to the church, to God's people, the flock, I want to remind you that you are really the treasure of God as we gather here as God's people and there is a role and um, a way we are to conduct business here as we are God's people. I want to remind you also that the book of 1 Peter is a book about trials and persecutions. And as this group of people and really churches uh, heard this message from Peter, it was tough times. And I think it's easy to be the people you want to be during good times. But when times get tough, will you still be those people? And, and maybe there's even a different tactic, and we're going to hear about some of that this morning. I want to say also, uh, before I move on from elders that we talked about last week, I may not have uh, shared this uh, uh, as clearly as I should have, but the idea of elders at this church are to be examples to the flock. And... Um, I just want to say I am I am an elder. I'm pastor of this church, but also part of the elder board. We have some elders, some men of the church that are called to this standard of being an example. I just want to say that we are not a perfect example of that. And I, I know that's even a joke to say perfect example. Some of you go, oh, I thought you were perfect. Uh, most of you know that I'm not perfect. But I, I want to acknowledge that, that this isn't any different in this situation, that we are with there with you, and God's doing a work in my life and continues to, and there's many failures and, and shortcomings that uh, I, I guess what I'm pointing out is as you see them, as you see them, do not follow them, as you see uh, where I, my life does not match up to the scriptures. We go to First Peter chapter 5. 
And I want to um, read to you our passage for this morning. If you'd stand in honor of God's word, I want to start reading at verse 6 in chapter, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. God's word says this, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. God, I ask your blessing on your word, ask that you would help us to uh, be moldable and pliable and uh, want to be transformed by it now, to want to be changed. God, I pray that we don't look to the outside world uh, how we're to relate to one another and relate to authority. God, do your work in us now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So he turns to the young and he says this in verse 5. He says, Likewise, you who are younger. In some ways, it might be. Um, it, it might be this idea that he's saying, everybody else. He talked to the elders. Everybody else. I'm not sure that's true. I think that he's probably talking to those who are in age younger or at least in the faith younger, okay? So he says, elders, you're supposed to act as examples. Now he turns to those who are young and he says, likewise, you who are young, you who are young. And we have some young people here today, so uh, you should perk up. Um, As you think about this, most of us who are older, and it's hard to decide sometimes. It doesn't say an age category right here. It doesn't say uh, the 30 and olders, right? You know, 30 and up. Or it doesn't say, you know, 65 and down. Uh, you're only, there's a, there's a funny thing. We have all these different things about age. You're only as uh, old as you feel, you know. Sometimes that's a bad criteria, isn't it, right? You know. I feel like I'm 115 today. Uh, um, you, or, or some would say, you know, I'm, I'm young at heart. You know what that means? You're immature. You're immature, right? Uh, you're, you're immature. You're someone who's acting like a child, but you should be older now, right? Um, age, it's a funny thing. When you're young, th- those of you who are older and you know it, uh, you remember what it is to be young. And there's some things about being young that it's important to remember. And I, if you're young here today, uh, I want to encourage you with these things. Uh, there's a relationship that maybe outside the church happens all the time that should not happen inside the church. And that's th- through the generations. Uh, we had a we have an amazing picture that we see in the f- previous service of the surprise box, and we see the little ones coming up. And for me, as an old youth pastor here at this church, it's a fascinating thing because I look at some of these kids, and I re- I know who their parents are because they were part of the junior high group, right? And uh, I met someone this week, I say I met them, I, I knew who they were, I just didn't know who they were as a grown-up. Uh, I, I ran into them and they said, hey, you're, you remember me? I went to the youth group. And of course I didn't, you know, because, and she, I said, tell me about your life. And she says, well, I'm, I'm married now, I have four kids. And I'm like, what? Like, 
aren't you in junior high still? Like maybe ninth grade? She says, no, I'm in my 30s, you know. And uh, there's this picture of generations. And I want to tell you that for those of you who are younger, this will be you. That when you look at old people at the church, you're training for that. You're, you're, you're going to be there someday. And this church and other churches just like it, uh, the older people around you won't be here in those days. You will take our spots. And so there's this importance of generations one to another. And so in this passage, he points or he turns to the younger people and he says, be subject to the elders. Now, when you're young, a lot of times you look at those who are older and you go, why should I listen to them? They can't even figure out their own phone. <laughs> they don't know how it works. They don't know what TikToks are and various other things that, you know, they don't know how the world works. And I could show them so many things. And I am superior because I'm connected to the culture. I want to tell you that might be true in the culture. But in the church, the things that we have to hand down aren't about phones. They're they're not about uh, the things or even the culture of the day. They're the eternal truths of God. And so he he calls to the younger, uh, as he's already talked to the older, the, uh, the elders, to be an example. He says to the younger, be subject to those elders. Now, what that looks like is this. Uh, Those of you who are young, you walk into church and you go, who am I supposed to learn from? Where where am I supposed to be? And it's not that older people are always right. They're not. They're not. And we we have shown that over and over again here. Uh, But it's the idea that uh, it's their responsibility to lead and your responsibility even at these days to follow. And I would just say this, more importantly, this idea of of soaking it in because one day it will be you. I I think of the Lamonts here, and I don't want to put them uh, on the spot, but I'm already doing it. This is Bill Lamont. He was an elder here. He was part of the early days here. And Jeff Lamont, he's a present elder. And there's Lamont boys here. And there's just this idea of generational things, Right? And we need to learn. It is, it, it's so uh, fascinating to me, uh, now being 50, is to see this and to realize that time is short. And, and there's a, there needs to be a hunger for this, that we would, uh, uh, as those who are older, that we would be the examples and conscious of that, but also for those who are younger to thirst, that we would, they would learn in these days that they would take our place and take our place in his church. You see this and you realize that um, elders are to be loving shepherds, godly examples, and younger are to find themselves under them. This idea, uh, it's kind of an interesting word. It's a, a military word that Peter has used a couple times before that in different situations. It's to rank under. But it's not the idea of superiority. It's the idea of a soldier understanding their place. And finding their submission there. Not the idea of one saying, I outrank you, but them finding and being uh, that person who finds their place. This is what he calls those who are young to do. Which moves us to the middle of verse 5. 
And it's everybody. It's everybody. And, and really you get this picture of how the total church is supposed to work. And this next point is really in relationship to one another as, as God's people. He, he says this, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Um, one another is uh, a way to say in relationship with people, people in the church. How are we to relate one to another? And he says this, clothe yourselves with humility. This word clothe uh, is, is a uh, kind of a fascinating thing because it pictures us of putting on clothes. Now, uh, when I think of Beer Valley Church, you're a fashionable group here, you know. Uh, I would say in Tehachapi, we are the most fashionable group uh, in Tehachapi. Uh, that's funny. Um, in Kern County, we're, you know, we're setting the pace. No, uh, um, the, the idea of clothes, we choose clothes. How many of you struggle sometimes choosing the right outfit for the day? Uh, some of you wondered about that today. Uh, uh, it was fun. First service, uh, uh, grandma had her granddaughters who were like fifth, sixth, seventh grade, somewhere in there. And they came up from Bakersfield and they had Crocs uh, with no socks. They didn't bring any socks and they were wearing Crocs. And it just wasn't the right footwear for today, right? Uh, they came in all freezing and they were shaking like this. What do we choose to wear? Well, you always choose your clothing. Sometimes it's a little bit more difficult than others. You're worried about the weather. You're worried about what you like. And, and you're choosing to clothe yourself in what you clothe yourself. You're presenting yourself. The picture here is this, is what is the clothing of the church? What, what is the church in our relationship to one another? What do we put on purposely? What do we choose to wear? Uh, you, you can picture this maybe as a uniform or a jersey. And, and, and the idea of identifying yourself, I think about football season and people wear their jerseys around it. Uh, it was funny, I was in Costco this last week and um, I was in somebody's way and they were trying to get by me and the kid was wearing a Raiders jersey and he, as he passed, I just said, well, go Raiders. And he goes, it, it, it pumped him up. Like he goes, you have, you have acknowledged me as we are friends now that I've acknowledged the Raiders. He didn't say just win, baby, or anything like that, but he was excited because he was presenting himself as a Raiders fan, which is a funny thing. Um, but... Um, I lived up in the Bay Area for a while, and they were terrible at the time we lived there. And uh, somebody said, uh, you know, uh, the Raiders, they ch changed their emblem that there was a patch over both their eyes because even the pirate didn't want to watch them play anymore. But um, anyways, the, the idea of identifying yourself, identifying yourself, and how does the church identify themselves one to another? How do they do that? In humility, in humility. A humble picture one to another. And, and what that looks like, that word humility, it's, it's super interesting. This word humility, um, one writer, as he studied the language, he said that they really didn't use this word. This word wasn't used in language before the New Testament church. Couldn't find it. In fact, even from there, and from there, it, it's only used apart from the Bible in Christian writings or writings that are influenced by Christians. And think about that. And I was, I was struggling even thinking about it now to say, why? 
And, and the reason why is this, because humility isn't thought of as great in any other place other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. He humbled himself. He humbled himself. Uh, you look at that and you realize that the humility of Christ, he took a lowly position. That's what it is to be humble. He took on that lowly position. As we think about clothing, you, could, uh, you, you can remember back to John 13 where Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. And it's, it says this, that Jesus knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from the supper, he laid aside his outer garment and taking a towel tied around his waist. What did he do? He took on the clothing of humility, of service. He, he portrayed himself as a servant. And this is what he calls us to be one to another. Who's a servant here? You say, I'm the servant here. Well, most of the time, we, when we look at people, we go, oh, am I supposed to serve them or are they supposed to serve me? Where do I rank here? How, how do I come across in the midst of God's people? And, and the picture here, identifying as a church, how do we clothe ourselves? In humility. We see ourselves as one another, as lowly lowly with one another, and servants of one another. This is the picture of the church. This is the picture of everyone in the church, and it's everyone in relationship to one another. We, we struggle with this idea of being lowly-minded, but one writer said this, and I think it's an important concept to get. Only those who are blind uh, to the reality of God could be deluded in the myth of their own self-sufficiency. Meaning this, meaning this. If you forget about the greatness of God, you find yourself to be proud. You find yourself to be self-sufficient. I've got it all. I, I can do it. I, I'm not a humble man. I'm a proud man. And, and the idea of thinking that you can do it all yourself forgets God, forgets him. And because you've forgotten God, you've deluded yourself with a myth that says, I am self-sufficient. This kind of delusion is interesting because um, when someone is truly proud, they're blinded by it, right? They're blinded by it. They say, I'm awesome. Uh, their spouse usually isn't blinded by it, right? Their kids aren't blinded by it. The rest of the world sees it clearly, but the idea of pride going out there and a proud man or a proud woman rarely sees it themselves because they've forgotten God. They've compared themselves to others and not to the holy God who loves them. And they, without comparing themselves to God, they don't see their inadequacies. There are many of them. And so the idea of being humble is just taking your rightful place. It's just taking your rightful place. My deserved place is the humble place. Peter clarifies in bringing uh, probably a summation of Proverbs chapter three, verse 34. He says this, he says in the middle of verse five, he says this, 
For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He says, humility is what we're to clothe ourselves with. Why? Because God opposes the proud. You think of that one who puffs out their chest and say, I can handle anything. What happens to that person? And what should make you nervous about being uh, with that person? I would even say voting for that person. I would say marrying that person. I would say, you know, working, like, why should we be afraid of a proud man or a proud woman? Why? Because God opposes the proud. The one who says in self-sufficiency, I can do anything I want to. I can bend life to my will. You, You know what happens to them? God opposes them. And they may be able to beat others, but they will never beat God. God opposes the proud. But it also says something about the humble. But he gives grace to the humble. Gives grace. And the picture is the one who purposely takes a lowly position, a a position of a servant. The, The person who says, this is who I am. I take my rightful place as humble it pictures God as either pushing them, pushing them, or preparing the way for them. God, God gives grace to the humble, to the one who, who is humble before him. It, it's the idea that God is pushing or pulling or preparing the way, make, causing his success to come to them. I want to tell you, there, it's very important uh, for the success of our church and our homes that we would be humble and treat each other with humility, and and that's serving one another. Which brings us to verse number six, and this is uh, six and seven I really see as now he uh, says similarly in humble relationship with one another, now it's in humble relationship with God. How do we relate to God? In, In verse six, it says this, humble yourselves, Therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Accept humility. Accept it. Embrace it. Say, this is the real spot for me. Where should I go? What, sh- what place should I sit at? How should I see myself? That's part of it too. Is, as you think about this word, it's lowly mindedness. Humility is lowly mindedness. It's that we, the way we think about ourselves and the position we see ourselves in a group and before God is a humble place. And that place comes out in actions of what positions we do or what, what things that we involve ourselves with. We accept humility. It's the reality of our life accepted. He says, humble yourselves. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Most of the time, uh, when we think about our lives, we talk about what we can accomplish with our own two hands. What we'll, what we'll try and how much effort that we will give. But the humble person doesn't talk about his own two hands or what he can do with his own brains and his own get up and go. What, what does he do? He takes on that humble position under the mighty hand of God, under the mighty hand of God. Now, I want to remind you that this is trials and suffering, right? Trials and suffering. Uh, What happens when you're following God 
and life gets hard, what's the temptation to do? It's to quit. It's even, it, it, there's even a temptation to say, I've been obeying, I've been obeying. Now my life got hard. I've been obeying, God. And my life got hard. Wasn't it me obey and then I get what I want? Then I get the easy life because I obeyed. And it says, no, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Stay there. Stay there. That's your spot. And I would just tell you, as God's people, it doesn't matter what the weather's like. It it doesn't matter whether things are good or things are bad. We're to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. That's the position. And I want to tell you, these couple of verses here, uh, verses 6 and 7, I think they're ones, if not the whole passage, but 6 and 7, they should be ours. They should be memorized. They should be written on note cards and left around your house. They should be carved in plaques and, you know, remind, and we should be sharing them one to another because they're critical. They're critical for us living as God's people. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. And then it says this. It says, uh, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. That word exalting is the complete opposite of humbling, right? Humbling is the idea of lowliness. Exalting is this idea of lifting up or the idea of blessing. He doesn't give us any details of when this is going to happen, but he does say this, it will be at the proper time, not your proper time, but at the proper time of God. God has you under his hand, and at the proper time, at his proper time, he will lift you up. I want to tell you that that might be, that might be now or soon after now. You've been walking with the Lord and it's been tough and you've been persevering and humbling, staying in that humble place and God may lift you up. It's kind of an interesting thing where he lifts somebody up, he exalts them. It could be in terms of give them prominence. It could be, uh, you know, blessings of life, making things well and experiences. It could be even financially. It could be even in our country, the idea of being popular That could be in the exalting of God. It could be. But I want to tell you that over and over again in the scripture, this idea of exalting, it could be now, but it'll definitely be later. It will definitely be later. I think of Marge Day, who I I, I mentioned earlier. She's in her 90s and lived, uh, I want to say, uh, a good but hard life. Uh, the idea of being um, uh, alone her whole life and uh, living on the Amazon and she had all the stories and being a woman and uh, just all these different things where you go, boy, that was a difficult life. I want to tell you, she's been exalted. She's been exalted. God took her home. It's better for her now. And, and the, there's this idea that, that as a believer in Jesus Christ, it's not about now. It's not about uh, fixing it up so it's comfortable now. It's not about uh, that everything goes right now. It's all about later. So we humble ourselves now, knowing that the later will come according to God's timetable. 
verse seven is so practical for us. He says, casting, as we do this, in the midst of humbling ourselves and waiting for his exaltation, he says, casting all your anxiety on him. What are you anxious about? Nobody's anxious here? Or are you just looking for the top 10 list right now? You're just sorting them out in order. When do, when do you become anxious too? When, when, when is that? When's your best time to become anxious? Nighttime, nighttime. At the beginning of nighttime or at the end of nighttime or in the middle of nighttime? It's about 3.30. <laughs> That's funny. We should find that, get, in, get on each other's anxious uh, timetable and then call each other, right? Right? <laughs> It's 3.45. I knew you'd be up. Um, uh, I, 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 I don't know how many of you have listened to KNX News Radio. They always say, uh, news, uh, on the hour, on the half, and when it breaks. You know, that's about how our worries go, right? You know, every hour, every half hour, and then in the midst of those times as well. He says, he acknowledges, and I want to tell you that, that worry is sin. Worry is sin in the Bible. But he also acknowledges that we have it in our, in our frailty. We have it. And he says, I want to tell you what to do with this. What to do with your worry, your anxious thoughts. He says, take them. Take them. And do something with them. And you're like, oh, I know. I, I already took them. Hanging on so used to these ones. I've been hanging on to them for so long. He says, no, no, don't, don't keep them. Cast them. Cast them. The picture is of uh, the throwing or the, the, uh, some of the words that were used to define this I think are important. The, the idea of casting is throwing it upon, handing it over as a decisive, energetic act, right? It's not the idea of sitting back and just going, you know, I'm just going to let God take these away from me as you're going like this, right? I'm going to let God take, don't, you know. Um, It's the act on our part of saying, I I give these to you. I give these to you. I purpose for you to have them. I cast my anxiety upon him. I don't hold on to it. I give them to him. I throw them on him. There's an important reason why important, very important. It, it's uh, staggering the reason why we should do this. He says, because he cares for you. He cares for you. He cares for you. And if you ask me after the service why, I'm just going to say, I don't know. It doesn't make sense. I don't know why he cares for you. I don't know why he cares for me. How many people are in the world? I looked it up. I Googled it. A thousand. That's a good number. That's a big number, huh, Jacob? It's closer to eight billion people. Whoa. That's a huge number. Eight billion. 7.8 or 9. They're still counting. I don't know. It's all about counting in this world. All about counting all the time. If you want to be a counter, you'll always have a job. 
almost 8 billion people. And, and you, look at, you, you look at what we're doing here. We're in Tehachapi. Some of you aren't from Tehachapi. And you, you should be concerned if God can find you right now, right? You know, in the 8 billion people, you, you say, well, God, does, does he even know where I am? Can he keep track of me? Yes, he can keep track. And not just that, not just that. He can handle these silly little things, these anxious thoughts of your life. He can handle them all. And not just that he can, he can find you and he can handle them. He cares for you. He cares for you. You think about that and you say, well, is that for all those 8 billion? I would say, no, it's not. It's not. It's for those who have a relationship with him. As you look at 1 Peter, it's directed to believers. It's, it's the idea of your church people, you're struggling. We know this, that he cares for you. The picture here is this, and many of you parents, you, you know about this. It's the, uh, when the kids were small, we used to go to the park all the time. And you'd go on Saturday, and there's a bunch of other brats, you know, not my brats, but there were other brats there too. And they're, they're all playing and stuff like that. And, you know, there could be 10, 20, 30 brats playing on the, at the park and, and they're all going up to, and, and there's this thing that as a dad, I'm looking at these 30 kids and I'm going, yeah, they're all kids. They're all important. And even as I would be standing in the wood chips or whatever and a kid would trip and fall, yeah, sure, I'd help that kid up. I don't know that kid. I'd care about that kid. But, but I was especially keen to my own kids, the ones that were mine. And it, there was this idea that uh, it didn't really matter what all the rest of the kids, what's that kid doing? Because he's mine. And I care for him and I'm watching out for him and I, I want to help him. And I want to tell you that, that God loves you so much. It's not just something that you think about in salvation. It says that God loved the world so much that he sent his son. That's an amazing thing, but it, it goes beyond that and past that based upon that, that he cares for you now. He cares for you now. And so as he cares for you, he calls on us to bring our cares to him, to him. This is how we humbly walk with the Lord. This is how we live in the church. I have three concluding thoughts as we uh, finish up this passage. First one is this, take your place, take your place. Well, what's your place? It's the humble place, right? As you see yourself, you know, you just take your place. I'm I'm the humble guy here. Like that, that I want to think of myself as lowly, which brings us to number two. The second point uh, on concluding thoughts here is fill your role. Well, what's your role? Well, if you're humble, you see yourself as a servant. And so in relationship to God and relationship to others, I'm a servant, right? I'm always looking to the needs of others. I'm always looking to what's good for them. And lastly, just to remember this important fact, this is an important fact that's important every day and every minute of every day is that he cares for you. He cares for you. Don't forget that. I, I think so often, and it's one of the enemy tactics that he always uses on us. He says, you go to church and you go, nobody cares for me at church. Nobody cares for me. And uh, 
I'd say this, it's probably not true. It's probably not true. Probably a lot of people who care about you here at church, people who don't even know you. It's funny sometimes uh, that uh, there's people praying for you that you don't even know. You don't even know. And, and you say, oh, nobody cares for me. That's an that, that's a enemy plot that makes you feel sorry for yourself and abandon God. But anyways, nobody cares for me. Maybe, maybe you think about that in your family, in your relationship with your spouse or your relationship with your parents. You say, nobody cares for me. Everyone, everyone Nobody cares for me. Or maybe you think about it in your world and uh, the great metropolis of Tehachapi. You go, I don't have any friends. Nobody cares for me in Tehachapi. I hate this town. Nobody cares for me. I want to say this, that forget all that. That all may be true. That all may be true. It's probably not true, but it all may be true. I want to tell you that God loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you. If you'd accept him, there'd be this sweet relationship that you'd care about your every thought and every anxious thing. He wants to help you to remember that he cares for you. God, thank you for your loving care for us. Thank you that you take us as weak, sinful failures. And you call us to yourself, you place us in your church, you give us direction for success, you allow us uh, to remain weak and humble, and, and you promise that as we follow you that there will be a day of exaltation. God, do your work in your church now. Help us to be humble people that you've called us to be. God, thank you. Thank you for each one here. Help us to remember your care for us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.